have been speaking on out of the book of Hebrews for quite a while now. I think it's about message 14, 15, or 16, uh, I can't remember. But today I want to finish Hebrews chapter 7. I always like finishing a chapter. Yeah? It's, it's not nice when you get to a point and you've got to stop halfway and then wait for the rest. So Hebrews chapter 7, um, we're going to finish it. We're going to go from verse 11 all the way through to, I think it's verse 28, the end. So probably at about half past three, four this afternoon, we'll be finished. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Just kidding. So um, the basic highlight for me about this passage is Jesus, his preciousness, his purity, and his power as our high priest. If you remember back to Melchizedek, he was that amazing person who appeared to Abraham and revealed to Abraham. He said, blessed are you, Abram, by God most high, creator and possessor of all things. And blessed, are you, blessed is God most high. And he just revealed this, well, he gave Abraham this revelation that God is the one who favored him and prospered him in the battle. He broke bread with him. He had bread and wine together. And then it says that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek eternal, without beginning and without end. So now, jumping into Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, let's go. Now if perfection, say that word, perfection. perfection. It's, a, it's a big word. It's like perfection. Who's perfect? If perfection, that means completeness, full maturity, no need for anything further. You can't improve upon it. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, that's the Levites, and the old way of doing temple worship and the sacrifice and the offerings, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. So there's a direct connection with the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifice and offerings for the forgiveness of sins, but saying that perfection could not be attained by it. What further need would there have been, if perfection was possible, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? And the last time I preached, I preached on Melchizedek. So it was two weeks ago. You can go back and hear that if you missed that. Rather than one named after the order of Aaron. There's a few things here. Perfection. So what the writer is saying is, perfection wasn't possible under the old system of the law and the sacrifices and the offerings. But there's a new priest who's very different from the others. He's so different, he's of the order of Melchizedek, who is quite enigmatic compared to other human beings. It's hard to explain. He is so superior and so great, eluding to or announcing that there is a perfection in his priesthood that was impossible under the old. So then people always ask, so then why did God waste all that time giving them the law and all of that history until Jesus? Why didn't he just jump straight ahead to Jesus? Well, it was imperative too that God would need to show human beings that in their own ability, they don't have what it takes to be perfect you and I, no matter how good we are, no matter how hard we try, when we present our goodness to God, the writer, well, Paul says, it's like filthy rags. It's like 
It's just, you think it's awesome, but compared to his purity and his perfection and his power, it's just weak and useless. But these people whom the law were given to, remember, had been captives in Egypt for a long, long time. They had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten their identity and how they were to be different. So the law came to reveal to them again that this is who you are and this is who your God is. And when you go into the land that I've promised you and you see all these other people, don't get confused. Don't start worshiping their gods. Don't start behaving like them. This is who you are and I'm your God. And be faithful to me. So the law had a good purpose. But Paul says the law was necessary as a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Like, you're not going to make it on your own. You need a Messiah. This priesthood can only do so much. You need the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. And so he goes on to explain this perfection is in the priesthood of Jesus. Perfection. Completeness. Full maturity. Can't improve upon. It's with Jesus. So the law. Quickly, a little bit about the law. I read an article in preparing this on the 613 mitzvah, the, the commands. 613. These commands paid attention to every detail of life. From sexual relations to how you treat your neighbor to what you eat, when you eat it, how you drink, how you worship. What about judicial systems? What about sorting this out? What about, it covered everything. But you know what was most surprising? Is that on sacrifices and offerings, now, now remember, sacrifices and offerings were the way by which blood was spilt that covered over your sins. So they would come, a high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, and you can read all about that in the, it's there, and then this offering would take place, and it was very particular. It was very specifically done according to what God had shown Moses. And when it was done accordingly with the perfect sacrifice, they took so long to find the right animals to sacrifice. When it was done well, all it would do is it would excuse your sins. But it could not eradicate them or take them away. So you were free again for a while. But it wasn't long before, guess what? You had a guilty conscience again. Because we humans, we're good at some things. You know what we're really good at is messing up. We really just get it wrong. On a bad day or just, you're just not thinking and bang, a guilty conscience. And so humanity was plagued before this most holy, beautiful God with this feeling of, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I, I just can't do it. And when you have a guilty conscience, guess what? You pull back. Like in the garden, you pull back and you hide. You pull back. You're not confident. And so, there were, around sacrifices and offerings, 101 out of 613 commands. Think about that. 101 around sacrifices and offerings. That's what a big deal the shedding of blood was for the forgiveness of sins even under the old covenant. So now, let's talk about this perfection. What does it mean? Oh, sorry, was there another verse I wanted to go to? Um, sorry, just give me a moment here. No. What, what does it mean when it speaks about perfection? So if perfection was not possible, 
There was need for another high priest, Jesus, of the order of Melchizedek, because he would make perfection possible. And you'll see it come through in the book of Hebrews often. So what is this perfection speaking about? What does it refer to? Because I'm a Christian. I believe emphatically in Jesus. And in my human beingness, I'm not perfect. Just ask my wife or my children in particular. So what is perfect? What has been made perfect? What is this perfection alluding to, this completeness? So let's ask us this. Let's ask ourselves this. Did God make us in his image, as the scripture says? Yeah. yeah. That's what the scripture says very clearly. God made us in his image, male and female. Is God a human being? It's not, it's not a trick question. <laughs> Answer is no. Okay? Does God have a body like you and I? The answer is no. So when it talks about he's got eyes and he, and he sees and he hears, it doesn't mean he's sitting there like a human being. We often picture God as this being, human being up there. He's not a human being. He's spirit. God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit and truth. Okay? So when he made us in his image, what was the defining exact representation of his being in us? It was spirit. He made us spirit like he is. Your spirit, your spirit man, is the very fountainhead of life within you. It's the very source of life within you. This, this here is your human body. This is what, in a sense, enables the spirit man to live out and express the life on this planet. And as we all know, life on this planet has fallen. So we don't expect perfection or heaven here around us. And we, don't, we shouldn't expect perfection from each other. Christians, just because a person's a Christian, don't expect them to be perfect. But now, just getting back to this, the source of life, this fountain of life, is necessary in this body. The moment, and the body is very necessary, because the moment the body can no longer operate, when the body dies, the source of life can't carry on expressing its life yet. So your human beingness is this complex, interwoven connectivity between spirit, soul, and body. When Christ makes us perfect, and we're going to look at that over the next few weeks or whenever I teach, when he makes us perfect, it's the spirit that is being made perfect. It is not my mind and my thinking. It is not my soul and my emotions. It's my spirit man. But this very source of life, the fountainhead, becomes perfect. It becomes new. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. In other words, that, that, that original source or that fountainhead which was broken because of sin and failure is completely made new. And so the Christian has these new desires. If you're born again, you have new desires. You don't wake up in the morning plotting how you can steal more money. Because then I doubt you're born again. You don't wake up in the morning thinking, how I can get that neighbor back because their dog was by, and I'm going to go after them, and you've been doing it week after week, and you're, no, no something changes, and you go, I don't, want, I don't want to do that. I don't have those desires. But your spirit man is perfect, and I want to speak on this little word, this big word, perfect, a little bit longer. Um, now, it says here, in the old way of the law, it says perfection was not attainable by the old way of the law. So all those 613 commands and everything, they could not make the human being, the source of their life, the spirit, perfect. Yeah. 
No matter how hard you tried, perfection impossible. Tom Cruise got it right. Mission impossible. No matter how hard you try. But the law, okay, it says that when this law was given, this law was unable to do it. It couldn't deliver us. When I, when I pointed the law, I'm not pointing at the whole Bible. I'm talking about that part which was given to Moses and unfolded through Deuteronomy, etc., and Leviticus. When, when it was given, it could, not com- it could not set the conscience free. It was unable to set the conscience free. It was unable to make perfect. It would just cover over and give you a chance again. And then cover over and give you a chance again. And then cover over and give you a chance again. But then it says the following. um, For when there is a change in the priesthood from the Levites to Jesus, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. There is a necessary change in the law as well. Now, I might say a few things. that, Look, if you've been in this church for a while, you'll be hopefully fairly rooted and established in this. But if you are fairly new to this church, I might say a few things. That might challenge you, your thinking, a little bit. So there has been a change in the law as well as it pertains to us who are Christians. There has been, because of this change in the priesthood, there was a necessary change in the law. It has happened. Whether you're aware of it or not, it has changed. It is no longer as it was. Which means that there are certain things in this beautiful book of scriptures that no longer hold you to account. So not everything written in here, pertains directly to your life right now. But everything by the Spirit makes sense in the unfolding of the Christ and the gospel so that I still love and read those old things. Okay? So, there was a necessary change in the law as well. There was a radical change in the law. In other words, there was a time when as a human being serving God, you were, your life was weighted under the law. You were me- everything you did measured up against the commands of God. By the way, the commands of God are good. It is a really good thing not to commit adultery. It's a really good thing. It goes so well with your soul. It is a really good thing not to steal. It is a really good thing not to lie. All of, all of the laws are really good. And Paul says, for the law is good. But there has been a change in the whole system. No longer is it a system of sacrifice and offerings and 613 mitzvahs. No longer is it that system. There has been a change. I'm laboring it. I understand. It's on purpose. Our lives are no longer judged by the law. The law is no longer my standard against which my life gets measured. If it was, it's tough. There's a guilty conscience. But Jesus Christ, the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, has become the standard. There's, whereas my life was weighted under the law, the Bible says now, for anyone who is in Christ, who, by the way, came to fulfill the law, 
He came to perfect it. He fulfilled it. He lived it out. He expressed it. He incarnated a life lived pleasing to God. If anyone is in Christ, so my life was under the law, if I was a Jew. Remember, he's writing to the Hebrews. Eh? Remember this letter's written to the book of Hebrews? So he's written to the Hebrews. Their lives as Jews were under the law. Now we know if anyone comes into Christ, he is a new creation. His spirit is made perfect. He is no longer under the law. The law in itself is good, but the law, like, no longer has any bearing. The Ten Commandments no longer have direct bearing over my life. Now, it's quite hard for you and I to understand. Let me tell you where we get it mixed up a bit. Now, I'm going to just throw a few things here. We as Christians, because we have often, let me not say always, but sometimes we misread what's in here, because we forget the context in which it was written, we forget what, why Deuteronomy was written, or why Isaiah prophesied that, or why Jeremiah prophesied that, because there was a history of God's people, Israel, going into captivity in Babylon, breaking covenant with God, doing this, and prophecies came, and prophecies came, and Jerusalem was overthrown, and then it was back again, and then they rebuilt the temple, and, then it was, and all of this is going on. We take prophecies, and we take readings, and we are confused between the old and the new covenant. And we have a lot of the old covenant stuff infiltrating and permeating our perspective on how we address a certain current topic. Whereas when Jesus came, there has been a complete change in the old covenant. The old covenant is over. And a new covenant in his blood has been initiated in which we live. And when we approach all of life, let it be through the gospel filter that we see it through Jesus Christ, our high priest, who is different to any other and no longer under the law, but living by the Spirit of God that is within us. So, here is a really tricky one. Right now, very tricky. There is, sadly, there are wars going on in the world. Russia and the Ukraine has been going for over 18 months. By the way, can I say, God does not delight in war at all. Jesus, when Peter took a sword and just, he was about to be betrayed, cuts off, hits the guy's ear, tries to probably, probably try to kill him and missed and just got the ear. Um, Jesus says to him, hey, Peter, put your sword away. We do not fight like the world. Takes the ear, puts it back. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And so when it comes to war, we get things misunderstood. We, we, we think, no, if you're right, you're right. If they're wrong, they must suffer. God doesn't like violence. God doesn't like hatred. God doesn't like animosity. Jesus came to bring things together. Okay, so now, here's the big one. There is a horrible war going on in Israel, between Israel and Hamas. As we know, Hamas invaded they came in, they did the, a terrible, terrible thing, 
They, I'm not going into the history as to why. Forget about all of that. Let's just look at what happened. They come in. They kill. They take people captive. They take them back. Israel says, what the hang? We're coming after you. And Israel go hard after them. And now they've been going hard after them for a while. And, and thousands upon thousands of people are dying. And God takes no delight in this at all. Jesus came. He's the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. Christians, if we think that God is on the side of Israel because of what it said back then in that context because of that, then we don't fully understand the gospel and the new covenant. And I can't quote, and sometimes we quote things out of Revelation because it said this. Do you know that Revelation is this apocalyptic book of incredible prophecies and pictures and visions? It doesn't mean there is literally a dragon, just so you know. It doesn't mean there's someone walking around with ten horns. It doesn't. But we take this now and we marry it with something from here and then we justify why we say this. And we tell people, this is what God wants. I'm saying, tread carefully. Rather, imagine how Jesus would pray. Imagine how Paul would pray for the war. And that's how I pray. Because I know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for the world. So God loves the people in Palestine as much as he loves Israel. God loves Russians and Ukrainians. God loves Korza, Zulu, you just name it, God loves. And we ought not to allow the old to permeate our thinking. We've got to go, God, what is truth? What, what is Jesus and what is the gospel? We now, our standard is Jesus, not the law. Our standard is always Jesus. What about governments? The way we look at governments and the way we think governments should work is so often an extraction of old covenant thinking and trying to put it into the new. Because all I want to say is this, and, and I'm, I'm open to, to having debates about this, so I'm, re, I'm just open to it, no problem. But all I want to say is this, when Jesus walked on planet Earth, they were vicious. There were Caesars. There were horrible Romans. That, I mean, they were wicked oaks. Terrible. Disgusting. There were the religious, the Sanhedrin. The, 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 they were horrible. And Jesus, how did he live? What did he do against them? What did he do to try and overthrow them? What did he do to try and bring things physically? And just, I'm just asking. What does Paul say we should do? He says, pray. Pray. Pray, because prayer invites God's activity in. And in our own strength, we can't do it. Eating and drinking. What we can eat, what we can't eat. What we can drink, what we can't drink. What day we celebrate. What you should. You, you know, you, you should have a Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, you should. Now, I'm all in for a day of rest. I'm all in. Like, seriously, 100% in. But should it be on a Friday or Saturday or Sunday? Paul says, who cares? Honestly, I'm paraphrasing. Who cares? Your answer is Jesus. And actually, we've come and we live in, a, in this internal rest that God has given us. 
but you've got to have a day off from work because otherwise you will be a grumpy person to be around if you never have a day off. You've got to have time to rejuvenate this human body and this mind because you're a greater blessing when this is rejuvenated. So rest is important, but I'm saying let's not get, let's not get confused about what's old and what's new because the old order of things has passed away. Now, let's carry on reading. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. This is Jesus. From which no one has ever served at the altar. He's saying he's a priest. He came from another tribe, not from the Levites. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, not Levi. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So this Jesus is not from the priests from another tribe, but somehow he becomes the high priest. Isn't it interesting that we, who are not of the Jewish people, I'm speaking for most of us, I'm sure there are some people here, but I, let me speak for me, I'm not of Jewish heritage. I wasn't a part of the original chosen people that God would work with. But somehow miraculously, like Jesus comes in and becomes the high priest, I've been grafted in to his beloved people, and we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. So it's this miraculous grace of God that intervenes even though the lineage wasn't directly there. So now, the, God's beloved, whose, whose side is God on? He loves all people, but he is particularly on the side of his people. And his people are made up of all peoples and all tribes and all nations and all cultures. So always remember that. But this priest now, um, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Stop and pause for a moment. Think about this. The power of an indestructible life. That's our high priest, Jesus. No matter what, they could not overcome him. Do you know that crucifixion, I'm told, I've seen pictures, I've seen movies, was one of the most horror, horror-filled deaths you could experience. A lot of suffering, a lot of pain. Crucifixion could not destroy his life. He just rose from the dead. And historically, it is written, he appeared to hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people. The government, as, as vicious as those Caesars were, as the government was, the Romans, and the emperors, it didn't matter. They could not destroy the power of this indestructible life. Demons, which play havoc, I say play, it's not really playing, demons which reap havoc with people's lives, emotionally, in the body, in their spirit, confusion, those things, they tremble at the sound of the name of this indestructible life, let alone the presence of this indestructible life. And this indestructible life has become a high priest whom Hebrews says is ever interceding for you, always on your side, never against you, 
God is for you, not against you. So you have the backing of the indestructible life of Jesus as you live your life on earth. Where's our faith? Is our faith in Him or in our own ability? The purity of Jesus. Remember I told you about 101 laws concerning the offering. This life was so pure. This life, there was no mark or blemish. There was no selfish agenda. There was no hook. It was just absolutely pure. And he says, here's my life. A sacrifice once and for all people. The preciousness of Jesus. To, I just picture this like him going, there's this conversation in heaven. Who will go for us? And he knows what's coming. He says, I will go. Send me. The preciousness of the gift of this life. And then, of course, the power of Jesus. Let's go on. For it is witnessed of him, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a quote from Psalm 110, which the writer of Hebrews picks up on. For on one hand, and if you want to know more about Melchizedek, that's the last time I preached, as I said. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Your Hebrew writer? It's big. It's set aside. So, for example, let's talk about it like this. You had this cool, amazing car in 1990. Some of you weren't born yet, but hey, just go with me. And this car used to take you on holiday, and this car used to, it was amazing. In 2023, that car is not so clever. So maybe you've parked that car in the garage, or you sold that car, because you know that car is not so good to get you to Cape Town. It's set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. While it was in 1990, it was amazing. But in 2023, it can't help you. Same with the law. When it was given to God's people, it was amazing. But for us, under Christ, it can't help you, cleanse you from a guilty conscience. It can't make you perfect. So it's set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. There it is again. God comes back to this. God is wanting us to understand. He makes you perfect. Well, I'll unpack it in a moment as I want to start bringing it to an end. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So the old way of drawing near was like, am I forgiven? Um, did the priest do it right? Like, am I covered? Uh, but still... Now, you draw near to the throne of God's grace with confidence because Jesus. Now, you stand before him, and the Bible actually says, like, like one day when we die, if you're a Christian and you're afraid of judgment, then you don't understand the gospel. Yeah. I say it straight out. Because, the right, because John writes and he says, when it comes to judgment, we have no fear of judgment. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And as he is, so are we in this world. We have no, we're no longer under the law, but we have come into Christ. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And where is Christ seated? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. So we are seated in Christ and have been perfected by that one sacrifice. The law was unable to perfect you, but Christ in his indestructible life, is absolutely 
powerful to make us pure and innocent. Think about that. Have you ever said that to yourself? Standing before God, you go, God, is this true? I am innocent before you. Innocent. Now, when a baby's born, it looks innocent. I say looks. Because lurking inside there is all kinds of abilities. But it just, it just looks innocent. Harmless and innocent. You can stand before God like a baby. I am innocent because of Jesus. And that is liberating. And it is powerful to put you in a place of confidence with God and people on planet earth. The new way doesn't mean, so this perfection, when God makes you perfect, the new way doesn't mean I live out a perfect existence. It doesn't make me a perfect human being. But that Christ's sacrifice has perfected my spirit. And I'm going to use that word perfect because the writer of Hebrews uses it, complete maturity. No need for any further work. And what God, so what happens with this human body, though, is this mind and the soul and the emotions and all of this complexity is my spirit becomes perfect, but I, I get to live out now from the source of this, which is now good and pure and right, I get to live out, but every day I get to choose whether I'm going to go with God or whether I'm going to just be stubborn and let my flesh win. Because sometimes, I'll be brutally honest, I feel like just letting my flesh win. Just, just it'll feel good. Because yeah. we like feel good, people. Like it'll feel so good if, if they really hurt themselves now because of what they did. It'll be good. <laughs> the new way doesn't mean I live out a perfect life because my whole way of thinking is in a process of transformation. By the Spirit of God in me, and the, and, the, and the beautiful scriptures, as I walk with God, all I know is that my mind and the way I think and the thoughts that I have are continually renewed to become more and more like the thoughts of Jesus. Yeah. And if you look back at your life, you should be able to see a growth course. You should, a growth track. It should be there. It should be evident. I know when I look back at my life, yo, thank God for Jesus. Because I, I wouldn't have been an easy person to live with. But Jesus comes and he changes things. And so there is evidence of a transformed life. More and more from one degree of glory. Not 20 degrees. One degree of glory to another. There's this transformation as I behold Jesus. Everything's on Jesus, okay? It's not on us. Um. In my flesh, living in this body, I'll never be completely perfect until I receive my glorified body. Okay. Yet in the meantime, I relate to God based upon who I am in my spirit, which he has made perfect. So there's always a confidence and no guilty conscience before God. My relationship with God is thus this secure and this strong. But let me say this. How you live doesn't affect your spirit's righteousness 
as a born-again believer in Christ, but it greatly affects your life. Because I'm still in this body. So if, you, if we want to eat like gluttons and drink too much alcohol and try and cheat in business and try and exploit people for many hours of work and pay them as little as possible, and if we want to, we're going to live in the consequences of that. It's going to be, it's, it's, it, it rolls out in life. But it doesn't change this. But the Spirit of God will never lead you to live like that. And Jesus is interceding for us that you won't do that. And the grace of God is abounding towards us to help us. We have everything for life and godliness, but we just mustn't lean on our own understanding. We mustn't lean into our own good works. So let me start to bring this to a close now. Um, and it was not without an oath. Okay, I'm just going to jump ahead here. This is just Jesus. This is just the right of Hebrews saying, and this wasn't just an idea. This was confirmed with an oath. God swore, you're a priest in the order of Melchizedek, like he did in Psalm 110. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Better. Better covenant, better life, better hope, clear conscience, perfect in Christ, not under the law. The former priests were many in number because they were, perf- um, they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever, like Melchizedek, an indestructible life. Consequently, and here's the verse I want to close with, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, to perfection, to completeness, to full maturity, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's alive interceding for you right now. He's backing you from heaven with all the power of heaven and the grace of God that is limitless right now so that you can live a life that glorifies him and is free in Christ and no longer has a guilty conscience, perfected in him. He is able. That doesn't mean he's just, I can do it, but uh, I don't think I'm gonna do it. It means I'm all in. I'm all in. He is able to save to the uttermost perfection. So the good work that he began in you, he will never quit. He will bring it to completion. To the uttermost, those who draw near to God. It's, I cannot, just, just look at me here, I cannot at the same time draw near in the physical realm to Martin and Sue at the same time. I've got to choose. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so when I draw near to one, I'm leaving another one. So those who draw near to God are leaving something behind. So those who draw near to God are called to leave their failures and mistakes and sins and guilt and shame behind. And your good stuff, your good works, what you've accomplished, leave it behind. And just come to Jesus as you are and trust Him.
for your salvation to the uttermost. Paul said, I can boast in many things. I've studied under Gamaliel, I'm a Jew of Jews, I'm Hebrew of Hebrews, I've done this, I've done that. He says, but actually all that stuff is rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ and forgetting what lies behind, even my good stuff, I lay a hold of that for which Christ has laid a hold of me. Jesus is everything in your complete salvation, in your perfection and completeness in this salvation. It's leaving behind. So Charles Spurgeon said this. He was a a famous preacher. He said, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Where, Where do these people come from? They come to God, which implies leaving something else. If a man comes to God, he must leave his sins and his righteousness. He must have both, he must leave both his bad works and his good ones. So you leave behind the ones you want to cover over and are ashamed of, and you leave behind the ones you want to boast in, and you just come to Jesus. He will make you perfect. That's the invitation of this glorious gospel and this good news. Then it just, just in closing, I'm, I, I haven't got time to go through it, but he just ends off um, where he's saying Jesus didn't have to offer a, a sacrifice for his own life. He could just do it for us because he was his perfect sacrifice. And his priesthood is forever. And um, again, we read the last verse. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as a high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So your salvation rests not upon you, but Jesus. Your completeness and perfection is because of him. All it requires is you believe that. And you enter into that, leaving behind the good and the bad and trusting him with your entire life. That is the salvation this high priest offers us. Let's stand together.